May is the festival of Pentecost. It's the uh, celebration, really, of the Holy Spirit. And we seldom hear much about the Holy Spirit. We hear about God the Father, always about Jesus the Son, but seldom about the Holy Spirit. And it's because the Holy Spirit is very modest. The Holy Spirit doesn't bring attention to himself. The Holy Spirit is not so much seen out there, but is working in here. The Holy Spirit has an inside job. He works within us. <clears throat> Today is all about the Holy Spirit. It's about the 120 followers of Jesus who are up in the upper room doing as Jesus commanded them, praying and waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. They had their attention focused on what Jesus had promised. And when the Spirit came, it was dramatic. A powerful wind probably blew through Jerusalem. People went outdoors wondering what's going on. Tongues of fire appeared on the heads of the apostles. And more surprisingly even than that, they began speaking in languages they did not know. They spoke in tongues. And this was the dramatic entrance of the Holy Spirit into these 120 gathered in the upper room. But the dramatic entry of the Holy Spirit on these 120 may lead us to miss something just as significant, but not nearly so dramatic. 3,000 people also received the Holy Spirit, but much less dramatically. For the 3,000, there was no rushing wind, no tongues of fire on the head. They had not been waiting for the Holy Spirit. In fact, some of these 3,000, seven weeks before, had been crying, crucify him, crucify him. They wanted Jesus dead. These sinners were drawn out into the streets by the loud wind, the spectacle, the tongues of fire. And Peter sees that moment to preach powerfully, and he called them to repent. This is not a part of our reading, but it follows after it. Acts 2, verses 37 and 38. Now when they heard Peter's message, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the other apostles, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, these are the very people who wanted Jesus' death seven weeks before. They now repented, they received the Holy Spirit. And this giving of the Spirit was not quite as dramatic as that rushing wind and tongues of flame on their heads. Nonetheless, they received the Spirit through baptism by water. And that's how most of us receive the Holy Spirit. Most of us are not exceptional Christians. Most of us are ordinary Christians, ordinary saints. And we were baptized, many of us, without much fanfare, without any drama. 
But what is important is that we understand how the Spirit works in our ordinary lives. And Paul lays us out for that in the reading from Romans chapter 6. Here's where he talks about being baptized into Christ. Paul writes in Romans, Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so also we might walk in a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, our sinful self, was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be destroyed, so we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Our salvation originates from Jesus' death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Day. But Jesus' death and resurrection really don't touch us. They don't have any impact. They can't do us any good until the Holy Spirit, who has an inside job, brings Jesus' salvation into our lives. On Good Friday, Jesus defeated the power of sin. On Easter Day, Jesus arose from death, offering us new life. So the Holy Spirit connects us to the power of Good Friday what Jesus accomplished, and we receive forgiveness. The Spirit connects us to the power of Easter, and we receive new life. The Spirit does all this through baptism. The Spirit drowns us in baptism, and that's the title of my sermon. The Spirit drowns us in baptism to wipe away our sin, and after putting sin to death in us, it raises us to new life, the power of the resurrection. And this dying to sin and being raised to new life doesn't happen just once the day you were baptized. It happens every day of our lives when we repent and turn from sin and receive forgiveness. It happens over and over again. Now, to make this concrete, I want to tell you how I see the Holy Spirit having worked in my life. And then maybe you can apply it to your lives. Maybe as I'm talking, something I'm saying about myself may apply to you and speak to you. As I look back over the years, there were four important times in my life when the Spirit walked with me, leading me into Jesus' forgiveness, and then leading me into the resurrection. There's four times when I really understood my life in terms of my baptism. The first time baptism spoke to me was my marriage. When I got married, I expected, as many of us do, marriage is meant to make me happy, right? But it didn't happen. And, and then I realized the problem was my wife. <laughs> if only my wife changed, I would be happy. Okay? So I set about trying to get her to change. I'd nag and I'd plead and I'd hint and I'd suggest how she could change in order to make me happy. I was certain if she changed, I would be happy. 
it's laughable how self-centered I was. But I suspect a lot of us have thought that way. If only he would change, if only she would change, I would be happy. And then we set about trying to change our spouses. After 10 years, mind you, 10 years unsuccessfully trying to change her, I finally realized there's only one person I can change, me. And as I look back on it, that was the Holy Spirit's work. That was really the Spirit working in me. I finally realized the Spirit was showing me I had to change. Not my wife, but me. I was the problem, not her. How many divorces have taken place because each one in the marriage wanted to find happiness, but believed happiness would only come if the other person changed. And this is my main point now about this. I can never grow spiritually if I think it's up to other people to make me happy. I can only begin the journey of spiritual growth when there's, I realize there's only one person I can change, and that's me. The Spirit showed me I was the problem. I needed to change. I needed to repent. I needed to seek God. And how many of us have not changed or grown in our faith because we don't see the obvious fact, I have to change. The second event in my life, when the Spirit walked with me into my Good Friday of repentance, was in the raising of our children. I began kindergarten myself in 1950. Can you imagine that? At a time when the school and community of our small town were very much shaped by traditional Christian values. Before school lunch, we all bowed our heads and silently said a prayer before we went to lunch. When I was in high school, the pastor of our church was invited to speak at a special high school assembly about growing spiritually as a Christian. And at the baccalaureate service, before our class graduation, one of the pastors from our small town gave a sermon to us all. I thought my kids were being raised in a community like I was. And all I had to do was send my kids to school, provide for them, nothing special other than that I had to do. My kids were in school in the 1980s and into the 1990s. It was a very different world than mine. As I look back on my parenting in those days, I definitely was not the parent I needed to be. Again, it was my selfishness blind to what I needed to do. My wife, Anne, was a better parent. She was the one that made me aware we need some tough love here to correct our kids when they get into trouble. The culture in which we, in which we live, our culture and society, will not lead our children to God, but away from him. And the Spirit showed me that I wasn't really thinking about my kids because I wasn't aware of what was actually going on in their lives. And by God's grace, our kids have turned out well. Both of them are loving parents and in good marriages. And the point of this is this. 
I was spiritually lazy in raising my children. My children needed more active guidance in these times. And I wish now I had been a better parent. I wish that so often. How many of us are letting our kids just drift through school, paying no attention to the values shaping our children? I so much admire some of you younger parents who have done such a good job of watching over your children and even now are taking steps to protect them from the confusing and destructive values abroad in our society. Third, I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 48 years old. Many said that prostate cancer, if you're going to have cancer, that's the one to have. It's the easiest to treat and most likely to be successful. When I went, underwent surgery, the surgeon told me we got it all. And after I fully recovered from surgery, I was back to my old self. But then a thought began to haunt me. What if it comes back? I'd heard that a positive attitude can have an impact on the body and help it heal from cancer. But on the other hand, I began worrying about the cancer coming back. And maybe that negative attitude, that constant worry, that nagging fear could possibly make the cancer come back. On a drive to a conference in Minneapolis, I stopped overnight to visit my sister in northern Iowa. Next morning, got in the car, headed into Minnesota, and those, as I drove, those thoughts about cancer returning began to haunt me. So I turned off the car radio, and I began to pray. God, I can't keep, go I can't keep going on like this, worrying about the cancer returning, fearing that if I worry about it, the cancer will return. And at that moment in the car, the Spirit gave me a sense of peace within. The Spirit quieted my heart. The Spirit showed me that through Jesus, I have eternal life right now, and I will have it at the end. The Spirit helped me see my life not as my possession, but as a gift. Life is a gift from God both now and to come. And it is my relationship to God that is the source of my eternal life. He gives it to me. The Spirit gave me hope of eternal life by Jesus entering my heart and loving me. Even now in this old body, I have eternal life. Fourth, the death of my wife, Anne, 12 and a half years ago was the most painful thing I've ever been through. Talk to anybody who's lost their mate, and they will probably agree. I discovered that grief, in fact, feels sometimes just like physical pain. You hurt within. And I experienced grief as isolation. I, I pictured it as having in, invisible plastic transparent shields all around me, and I, I couldn't really touch people. I was kept from being touched by them and, and touching them. I felt so isolated, so cut off from others by the pain I felt. Even before Anne died, 
I knew on some level her death, you want to deny it, but on some level you know the death is coming. And I lived in the fear of losing her. And when she died, I may have appeared normal, but I wasn't. Nothing's normal when you lose someone you love. So I joined a grief group led by Betsy Stauffer, and I began talking about my grief with others who'd lost, lost their mates. And one thing Betsy said about grief that has always stuck with me, it's this. Grief breaks your heart open. Grief breaks your heart open. For much of my life, I've been walled up inside myself to protect myself from anything that threatened me. I lived constantly kind of on the defensive. And the Holy Spirit led me out of this grasping for security and helped me let go and let God. The walls of my heart broke down so God could come more deeply into my life. Now those are the four key times in my life where the Spirit was at work. Maybe you can identify with some of them. They're common to us all. And the Spirit was working in my baptism to join me to Jesus' power. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. And what he meant, I think, was that we will experience hard times, which are the crosses in life, our, our Good Fridays. Into a new life, Jesus leads us through those crosses, through those Good Fridays, through the pain, into a new life. And he does it by destroying the sin with us, within us. We, we, sin is to be wrapped up in self. That cross breaks that open. So you open your heart for the first time and let him in. Our Good Fridays kill our pride, our total trust in ourselves. Our belief that other people have to change, not me. And the death of sin in us is painful, but it leads to new life. And that's the main thing. There is a new life. There is an Easter. There is a transformation that takes place. There is Christ living within us, giving us hope and a sense of eternity within us. The Spirit leads us through our Good Fridays, so we begin to follow him and we begin to experience how much God loves us who are sinners, and that's Easter, to know that he loves us. In this journey of baptism, the Holy Spirit walks with us. The Holy Spirit in John's Gospel is called the paraclete. Paraclete means to walk alongside of. The Holy Spirit is the one who walks alongside us, walks with us in our hard times walks with us on our Good Fridays. In each four of those crosses in my life were times when the Spirit was walking with me. And it, I, as I look back on it, I see it. I didn't see it then. The Spirit was going with me through that cross, my death to sin. And this is very important. Baptism is not just a 15-minute ceremony. It is a lifelong journey following Jesus. Baptism, the day you got baptized, begins that whole journey with Christ. Baptism embraces it all. 
The Holy Spirit is central to following Jesus. The Spirit is the one who walks with us as we follow Christ. On July 25, 29, 1945, in a little white frame church in the cornfields of Northern Iowa, Pastor Wolfram poured water over my head and said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And on that day, God made a decision to be my God. God made a decision to choose me, to save me. And the Holy Spirit on that day began walking with me to help me follow Jesus. Baptism is not a decision we make primarily. Baptism is God's decision to be our God. That's why we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. We're being adopted. We're being given God's name. God is choosing us. Through that naming us with his name, he baptizes and makes us his child. It's his decision. That's what baptism is. The day you were baptized was the day God chose you to be his own child. You may have been baptized as an infant. Maybe you were baptized at 13 or 14 years old and you were dunked in a pool in church or out in a pond or in the river. You may have been baptized as an adult, but however your baptism took place, God made a decision to make you his own. He adopted you into his family. And because of God's promise made to you at your baptism, the Holy Spirit is still walking with you, always walking, leading you to follow Jesus out of death into life. And that's the Spirit's work, to walk with us, to walk beside us, to help us follow Jesus out of death to our sin into the new life of his grace and love. Now may the Spirit's gift of peace keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.